message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Good morning. Uh, this table's a little dusty. I can see they took our podium to men's retreat. Have you noticed we're missing some men? Yeah, 400 men. Is that not awesome? So let's open up in prayer, shall we? We want to pray over these men because this has the chance to change so many families here at VBF. So Lord God, we come before you and we just pray over today and this morning. We pray for all the men at the men's retreat as they're in their final session this morning. I just pray right now your spirit would fall. And we pray that you will truly change lives on that mountain in Big Bear. We pray for safety as they're coming home. We pray over this morning as we're gathered together, Lord. May it not be my words, but your words. In your name we pray. Amen. By the way, women's retreat. Yes. Women deserve a break too. Yes, we do. Thank you. They get away from all like the chaos and all of us women are holding down the forts this weekend. And I'm like, wait a minute, we're going to go do the same thing November 10th through 12th. So, so please women sign up. It's going to be amazing. And we need a break. And my husband and I actually just got back from a little break. We got back on Monday. We went to Greece and we walked where Paul walked. And we went to Jerusalem and we went to all of these sites that we have been wanting to see for so long. And as I was over there and knowing that I was going to be speaking this Sunday, I, I kept on going, Lord, what do you want me to share? What do you want me to share? And I, and I kept thinking as we went to all these sites how they were part of the early church because somebody shared their testimony, because somebody shared with them about Jesus. And as I was going through that, I was brought back to Acts 1 verses 8 through 9, and this is Jesus' last words before he ascends to heaven. This is after he's died on the cross. This is after he's risen from the dead and spent these 40 days with his disciples and his followers. And this is what he says to them. In verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. He says, be my witness, and be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I'm like, why? Like, why list these specific places? Well, Jerusalem, Jerusalem was their hometown. Jerusalem was their home. So he's saying, be my witness in your home and the four walls of your home. But then also in Judea and Samaria, this was their state and their country. This means outside of your home. This means your workplace. This means the soccer field. This means the gym. This means places outside of your home. And then he says, by the way, to the ends of the earth. And that's as far as your sphere of influence reaches. And I don't know about you, but when I think about these last words of Jesus, I'm like, that's a really tall order to be a witness for him in all these places. Because it doesn't say, do your home and then go to Judea and Samaria, and then go to the ends of the earth. He doesn't say then. He uses and, 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 and. And I think about that and go, Lord, how can we possibly do this? How can we fulfill what you have left us with? See, when I think about all these places my husband and I visited, many of them 
like Ephesus and places like that were, were there because this man named Paul, Paul did this missionary journey and he went to all these churches and he established all these, these places that were, became Christian believers and Christian sinners because he went and he just told them about Jesus. But Paul was not always Paul. He didn't always live that way. Paul was Saul. And you probably know this in the Bible, but, but before Paul became Paul, his name was Saul. And let me tell you a little bit about Saul. It's in Acts 9, verses 1 through 9, and it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. Remember how Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life? So they referred to followers of Jesus as the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back in Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days. He did not eat or drink. The story is going to go on, and this man named Ananias, God lays on his heart to go to Saul, which, by the way, was a little bit terrifying anyway, because Saul was there to literally take anybody who claimed to be a Christ follower back in chains. They did not know all that was going on in that moment, but Ananias still goes through God's power, he heals Saul. And then verse 19, the last half says, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the son of God. You see, Saul was a Jew, and he goes straight to the synagogues that are full of Jews. He doesn't leave. He stays right where God has placed him. And he literally says, let me tell you what just happened. Let me, that's how he starts. Let me tell you. And sometimes I think through, I'm like, Lord, how do we start? Well, maybe we need to take a note from Paul, Saul, and say, let me tell you what just happened. Let me tell you my Christ story. Let me tell you what Christ did to me, how he got my attention. Because that's what our testimony really is. Our testimony is our Christ story. So what is your testimony? How do you tell others your testimony? Believe it or not, you think this would be something that many of us would be able just to say, but maybe in this room today you're like, oh, I don't know if I could point blank just say that. What if you have 30 seconds, somebody at the gas pump says, tell me about your Jesus. Would you be able to tell them in 30 seconds? Well, I'm going to give you some help today with that. First, there's one way to think about this, and this is before, how, and after. If you were, I would encourage you guys, if you're a journaler, write this down. Um, but you should be able to answer these questions. Before I met Christ, I was. How I came to believe in Christ. And after I came to believe, my life looked like. That is our testimony. Now, for some of you, you're like, that's way too complex for me. That's okay. I have a simpler version. Are you ready for that? It is, I once was, but now I'm. I once was, 
but now I'm. And I don't know about you guys, but I love a good testimony. We used to do these cardboard testimonies, and we'd have people lined up all over this stage, and they would say, they would say, I once was, and then they'd flip the cardboard over, and it says, I now am. And that is powerful. It is so powerful to see how God transforms lives, right? It's simple. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, that's great, Nikki, but I don't have an I once was. Like, I only have an I once was. Like, I'm still sitting there. I don't have a, but now I'm. Like, I'm all in my am right now. Like, my life is still a, a big old mess. I still am. I'm a, I'm a, I once was, I still am. And I'm going to tell you guys today, could it be what is really messing up your life right now? is what is going to bring you to Christ and give you your testimony. What is really tearing you up is going to be a part of your testimony, but we have to be willing to hand that over to God because you don't get a testimony without going through the test. Oh, I wish I could tell you guys that a testimony just arrives on your lap and you're like, woohoo, it doesn't happen. You have to take a test and it's not a test that you just pass and there you go. A test is something that often we fail and we fail, and we fail, and I've got some really great news, guys. We cannot flunk out of this test. You don't just get like logged out after so many tries. God keeps giving us grace and grace and grace for these tests. I often think like, I think about when you're trying to pass that test on that computer where it says, prove you're not a robot, right? And it's like, push the squares where there's a stop sign. And you're like, yeah, but is the pole the stop sign? Because is that, are they considering that part of the sign or is it just the sign itself? And then this one square has like just a minuscule amount of that stop sign. So do I click that square or do I not click that square? And you know you failed when it pops up again. And you're like, okay, now I got to do sidewalks. And I don't know if the crosswalk is considered a sidewalk because that's where you're supposed to walk. And then when you fail that one, the words pop up and you're like, you want me to tell you what word this is? This is so wavy. I don't know if that's an H or an N. And then finally you go, that's it, I'm a robot. Like, that's it, I'm convinced. They have convinced me I am a robot. But isn't that what life is like? We fail the test and we fail the test and we fail the test and we throw up our hands and we say, that's it, that's what I am. And God's like, no. When you lean into me, when you ask for my strength, then I will give you the testimony. You don't do it on your own strength. We do it with God's strength. And yes, we are going to fail. Pastor Ron said something so important last week. He said, what if someone is counting on you to get it right? What if your testimony isn't just your testimony? What if somebody else is going to someday get through what they're going through because you made it through this part of your testimony? Our tests become our testimony. And I wish I could tell you that you arrive, like you climb that hill, like you keep passing, you finally, like you fail tests, you pass tests, and finally you get to the hill and you're like, yes, I have my testimony, I've arrived. Um, I had a friend this week and I laughed so hard. She said, I finally felt like I was passing the test and I was passing the test and I finally felt like this is behind me, this is my testimony. And then she said, Nikki, I didn't just backslide. She goes, I didn't just take a step back. She goes, I decided to go down that hill, head over foot, all the way down that hill. It, it was not graceful, it was amazing your train wreck. But she said, but I've passed the test before and I know how to do it again with God's strength. And so I'm heading back up the hill. And that's what a testimony really is. I have to tell you guys, if you are perfect, you will be unrelatable. Your imperfections make you relatable to other people. 
They, because I don't know about you guys, does anybody relate to failing? I relate. I have failed so many times in my life. I relate. Did you know you can't be saved unless you failed? Actually, being a failure, it qualifies you for God's grace. Congratulations, we're human. It doesn't catch God by surprise that we failed, but he does ask us to pick ourselves up and keep trying and keep trying to pass the test because he will give us a testimony. That is the goal. But it's not on our own strength. It's all on his, right? (laughs) William Carey, he has this quote. He says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. William Carey was what they call the father of modern missions. And in the 1500s, when we were, you know, thousands of years of really not doing missions in the church, he, he takes it upon himself to, to start doing missions again. And he spent seven years, he uprooted his family in India, and in the first seven years, not one convert for Christianity. But he kept on going. And this is what he says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And it's the truth. Would you rather fail at the right things or would you rather succeed at the wrong things? We need to be okay pushing through these tests so that way we will eventually succeed at the right things. Isaiah 61.3 says that God will make beauty out of our ashes. Those tests that we fail, he will bring them beauty because we know that we all are heartbroken and we're messy but that he's going to turn that into our testimony. A lot of times I think I hear people say often in working with people in ministry, they're like, listen, I get that I need to be this way. And when life gets easier, I will work on that. I got to tell you something. It's not great news, but life is hard in every stage of life. It's just a different kind of hard. I know it's not good news, but God is asking us to work on things in the here and the now and not put them off. We don't ever arrive, right? We don't ever say, I'm here. God keeps, he, our testimony is something that keeps getting deeper and wider and bigger. So can you answer? I once was, but now I'm. Hi, my name's Nicole. I once was paralyzed with fear, but now God has replaced that fear with a peace that overpowers all the fear I have in life. What your I once was, but now I'm. Because once we figure that out, guess what you get to do with that? You get to share it with others. You get to tell others about that. I have a seven-year-old son, and all of a sudden, about two months ago, he started praying out of nowhere. He said, Lord, please let me have somebody I can tell Jesus to. I want to tell somebody about Jesus. And my husband and I literally, in the middle of this prayer, we open up our eyes and we look at each other. We're like, I don't pray that. Do you pray that? Like, we, I, we should pray that, but we don't pray that. Like, I'm like, where is he hearing this? And it wasn't just like one time, the whole week, he prays, Lord, give me somebody to tell Jesus to. And I'm, now I'm like, my, my seven-year-old, you guys, he's been in speech most of his life. Like, words are not his thing. And I'm sitting there like, oh, Lord, please give him somebody and make it easy. And then I'm thinking, should I set this up? Like, you know, like, no, 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 I can't do that. (laughs) I thought about it, but I didn't. I'm like, Lord, please just answer this prayer. I don't know what to do. And he kept on praying it. And then 
A couple weeks later, I thought he had forgotten about it, but we went to a kid's play place with some friends. And those friends brought other friends that we didn't know. And after a couple hours of playing, we were leaving. And my older son, who's nine, says, Mom, you're not going to believe what Zion did. And I said, what? And he says, well, we were at the top of the play place, and Zion just stood in the way of the slide. And he said, let me tell you about Jesus to this other kid. Apparently, the other kid just tried to get around him. And my nine-year-old said, no, 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 you listened to him. <laughs> and he told him about Jesus. It was probably 30 seconds of Jesus dying on the cross, yada, yada. It was probably so short. And then the kid said, I go, what did the kid say? He said, okay. And Zion said, okay. And off they went playing. <laughs> but there's the truth of it. You share it. We have to be comfortable sharing it. Do you believe that every single person you encounter throughout the day is on a spiritual journey? They are either on their way to God or they are on their way away from God, but every single person is on a spiritual journey. Let's revisit Jesus's last words in Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Do you guys know that the word witnesses is martis in the Greek. And it means, in the legal sense of the word, it means a witness that is seen, heard, or knows by other means. Sounds right. Like that defines a witness to me. But when I'm looking in the Greek concordance of this word, there was another part of this definition that I went, whoa, it was the ethical sense of the word. And the ethical sense of this word says those who are called martis proved strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. Excuse me? You see, martis in the English language is where we get our word martyr. It's the word for witness. And I am telling you guys, Jesus is not telling his disciples right here, I can't wait for you to die a violent death. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. He's saying, be my witness. Go share all that you have experienced with others. And by the way, be it so life-changing that it becomes greater than your own life. Be it so life-changing that it becomes greater than your own life. You see, martis is not a verb. Martis is a noun. It is, the, it is your life. It is the way you are portrayed to other people. You are being a witness. Testimony is the words that you share, but your witness is the life that you live. Share how God changed your life, but allow others to live, see it the way you live out your life. Because I'll be honest with you guys, like a testimony without a life lived out is just a pile of words. It's just a pile of words. Did you know the scriptures tell us that even demons can tell you that God is the one true God? Amen. Go to James 2, verses 18 through 20, and it says, But I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department, and I'll handle the works department. Faith being your testimony, what God has changed within you, building that faith. Works being living it out, your witness. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together hand and glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as you have had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. 
But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Wow. You see, our witness is our testimony in action. And when we have a witness and a testimony living out, it is world changing. Because if it was just about sharing your testimony, we would all be the blowhorn guy on the corner. I would be horrible at that. I already know that. I'm I'm grateful that I get to actually live this out because it's not just about my words. It's the way I live out. And sometimes that is hard. Being a witness sometimes means standing up for the word of God, even if it hurts people that I love. Oh. Being a witness means forgiving people that have hurt me, even when it hurt really bad. Being a witness means loving others, not just the people that are easy to love. It's loving everybody self-sacrificially. Being a witness is speaking life and walking away from gossip conversations. Being a witness is finding joy when life is just playing out hard. Being a witness is being faithful, even when no one is looking. I mean, the list goes on and on But God is calling us to be a witness because I have to tell you guys, I'm accountable to what he's asking of me to do. When I get to heaven's gates, he's going to look at me and say, what have you done, Nikki? Were you a witness for me? We become a witness when our life bears our testimony. And I need to remind you guys again that it's not about perfection. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need a savior but because of our imperfections. And actually, because of our imperfections, did you know that you will probably lead people to Jesus because they watch how you walk out your imperfections? That becomes part of your testimony. How often do you say, I'm sorry? Oh, my boys here, all, I mean, I would love to tell you that I am that mom that's like, ah, right? No, I yell. I hate that I yell, but I get so mad when I've asked you 10 million times to put on your shoes and we're five minutes late for school and you still are walking around barefoot. Like, and I'm like, ah, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But seriously, put on your shoes, right? But I mean, it's those moments where I, that should be something that flows out of our mouth. We get to receive grace. We get to give grace. That's part of that testimony. Now, I want to tell you guys, if if you have asked Jesus into your life, you do know you have a testimony, right? Maybe you're like, I am still a big old mess. Guess what? If you have said, Jesus, come, Lord, live in my life, be Lord of my life, you have a testimony. Because here's your testimony. I once was going to hell. But because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, because I believe that he is the one true God, I am now going to spend eternity with him. You have a testimony, right? Praise God that that is the start of our testimony. And as we start growing in that, as we start growing, our witness starts coming out because we have this, I don't know about you guys, but when I gave my life to Jesus and it was all kind of a muck in here, all of a sudden he starts, he starts working on here. And then all of a sudden that testimony starts living the life that I live out here and I become a witness. You see, a witness is when that internal transformation starts taking place on the outside. And then you, your once was, right? Your once was grows. Like it's, I once was into pornography. I once was an alcoholic. I once was lazy. I once lacked purpose. I once lived for myself. I mean, the list goes on and on. Your once was keeps growing. And as you grow in Christ, it keeps growing and growing and growing. And then once we realize what we've been saved from, do you guys realize what we've been saved from? Not only did God save us from hell, 
but he continues to save us from so many things. And for me, when I know what I deserve, but I'm not getting, I know what I deserve. I know I'm a sinner saved by grace. I can't help but have this heart of gratitude towards God. Like this kind of gratitude like keeps me on my knees going, I know what I deserve. I know what you keep saving from. I know how I keep mess up, messing up. I know this grace you keep giving me. And as we hit our knees and we experience that gratitude, there's this love. This love that we receive and then we can't help but give back because we know, be it so life-changing that it becomes greater than our own life. And when we experience that, that's when that witness plays out. You see, that's the kind of love, that mutual love, that actually started the early church. In 64 AD, when Paul was actually walking and preaching in his missionary journey, we had Emperor Nero come on the scene. And he was persecuting Christians left and right. And I'm not just saying like, oh, let's just kill you on a cross. It was like, let's dress you in animal skins and throw you into an arena and release wild animals on you. I mean, it was brutal. He would kill Christians and he would dip them in layers of wax and he would light them around the city, mocking them in the fact that they said that they were the light of the world. But yet Christianity spread. How would during this time Christianity spread when this is the kind of persecution that Christians were going through? And I will tell you guys that you don't give your life or even risk your life for a lie. You see, these people were known by their love for people known by their love for the Lord, and they were willing to give their lives for that love. And that was truly a witness. So let's revisit Paul again. So he spent his life sharing. He actually traveled over 10,000 miles on these missionary journeys. He went on several missionary journeys. And there was one point when he was in Athens, Greece. He was almost there by mistake. Basically, he got kicked out of the city he was in because They weren't happy with what he was speaking. Some people were coming at him. So to save his life, they sent him to Athens. And he was just chilling there. He was actually waiting on Silas and Timothy. And he just starts sharing his testimony in synagogues and the marketplaces. And somebody overheard him and they said, hey, come share what you're sharing. We haven't heard this before. Come share it at, I'm going to mispronounce this, but it's Areopagus. Areopagus. There we go. Areopagus. He said, come share it at Areopagus on this hill Because this is where all the theologians, all the best minds of Athens, Greece at the time, this is where we gather and we share the latest ideas. So Paul comes in in Acts 17. I won't read it for you. I'll let you read it on your own. But Acts 17, Paul goes to this Areopagus Hill and he sits with all these amazing thinkers of the time and he shares with them one of the best sermons we have on record. In fact, for me, when I was in my master's in theology, we studied this sermon. We dissected this sermon because it's a beautiful, perfectly written sermon. And Paul, who would lead thousands upon thousands to Jesus prior to this and after this, the scriptures tell us that two people came to know the Lord. Two. A beautiful sermon. Two. One being a man named Dionysus. My husband and I were in Athens two weeks ago. And in Athens, there are Greek Orthodox churches on every corner. And these churches believe in one God, that God gave his one and only son to die on the cross for their sins. Our tour guide, we were up at the Acropolis, the Parthenon. And she points down and she goes, this is Areopagus. This is the hill where Paul gave his testimony, his sermon in Acts 17. And she says, because Dionysus 
gave his life to the Lord and was a member of the high council and just one influential man is the reason why Athens is considered a Christian country today. That last two weeks ago on a Sunday morning before Athens woke up, my husband and I decided to climb this hill. And we went and we climbed this hill and we sat down and we read Paul's sermon in Acts 17. And I want to give you a view of what we experienced, but I want you also to listen to this video. You hear the church bells? You hear it? You see, when I look at that, I think, could have Paul thought, well, that was a wasted opportunity. Just, just two? But yet, the reason why we climbed that hill and there was nobody in sight because there were so many are in church. And the bells for an hour just were going off on this hill that you could hear from all over. And I thought, you see, God just showed me, he said, listen, you're not responsible for the outcome. You're responsible for the action. You're responsible to be faithful, but I'm responsible for the outcome. Nothing is a waste when God says just do it. And they won't always be perfect, but we have to be obedient. Paul did exactly what God wanted him to do. And we have to be able to leave the results to God. I'm really grateful for that. If it was in the Bible that you have to leave so many souls to Jesus before you're allowed in heaven, it would be hard. But he doesn't. He just says, be faithful, share your testimony, be a witness, and allow me to take care of the results. Did you guys know that one Sunday school teacher, one Sunday school teacher, just being faithful to show up, led Billy Graham to the Lord, who would in turn lead thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people to the Lord. You're just called to share your testimony and be a witness. So I wanna leave you guys today with some practical questions because I feel like this today can change our life and the way we live it out. My, my first question for you is this, is do you have a testimony? If you don't have a testimony, I'm gonna encourage you to come and talk to some people at the front today because a testimony starts with, yes, I wanna make Lord Jesus savior of my life. And he will start to transform. If you feel like you're failing and you're failing and you've never actually taken that first step, that's the first step. And so I want to encourage you guys to make sure we take that first step. But that, that second step is, do others know that you are a follower of Jesus? Do people on your social media know that you're a follower of Jesus? Do they? You see, my husband, he's at work right now. And He's a physician in the hospital, and yesterday he came in. He had to work this weekend, and yesterday he came home from work, and he sat down, and he said, I said, how was it? He was, it was hard. I had a lot of really sick patients. He goes, but I got to tell somebody about Jesus. I got to tell somebody about Jesus. You see, that is, he's not afraid. I love that about my husband. He's not afraid. He's not afraid to say, hey, this doesn't look good, so let me ask you, do you know about Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? You see, do your workplace, do they know? Do they know 
that you're a Christian. The third is this, is does your life reflect your testimony? If you could not use words, would people look at you and say, that is a believer? I'll be honest, I, there's this one woman who always checks me out at Target and I'm like, oh, she's a believer. Like, I just know this woman loves Jesus because she just walks around and she's like, praise you. I mean, she's just happy-go-lucky. I'm like, I know, I know she's gotta be a believer. Do people, just by the way you live your life, are they like, there is something different about them. I know that they know Jesus. You see, if you don't have words, you live it with your life. Now, let me tell you something that's pretty crazy is Revelations 12, 11 says, this is in time stuff, guys. This is, this is where it's all written, in times. It says, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. They overcame him. We overcome the enemy today Tomorrow, next week, in times when the world is at the end, we overcome him by Jesus Christ, by the word of our testimony, and by being a witness for Christ, by loving God more than ourselves. And that's the final question is this, what is your first love? What is it? Is it God? Or is it your husband? Is it your kids? Oh, that's a hard one for me. I got to keep giving my kids back to God every single day. Is it your friends? Is it your family? Is it a boyfriend? Is it your job? Where is your first love? And I'm telling you what, this isn't something I'm asking you to do. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 38 says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And my friends, if you love him like that, there's not room for anything else to be first. He is first, and that's what he's asking us to be his witness. I'm going to end with this. Jim Elliott was a missionary in the 1950s. He felt like the Lord led him to minister to these Amazon Indians, a, a tribe that was known for just being brutal and killing people left and right. And so he goes and he visits this tribe, and after years of preparation, and guess what happens? They kill him. He dies. But his wife doesn't give up. And she keeps ministering to these Indians even after they have killed her husband. And she wins them, this whole tribe, to the Lord. But Jim Elliott, in his journal, he wrote this. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. You guys, we have to be heavenly minded. We are on this earth for such a short time and we are called to be a testimony through our life by being a witness. Did you get something out of today? All right. Lord God, I pray over my friends here. I just pray right now that we will continue to dissect the words of your scriptures that you have given us, Lord. That as we leave this place, we will think through ways where we need to grow and how we share our testimony and how we live as a witness. And I just pray right now that my friends will also experience your grace and the moments where they feel like they have failed because I have those moments too. That they would be able to pick themselves up 
and start making their way so that they start passing some tests and that testimony starts growing and growing. Thank you, Lord, that you are so patient with us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Give us a king, give us